what I am is afraid. Like it's a fear of betting on the thing. And then what if it doesn't succeed? But then also what if it succeeds and I'm beholden to this thing forever? Hi, and welcome to a new episode of the Tort and Conquer podcast. Today, we're talking to Benedict Ray, a Norwegian software developer and indie hacker. We're talking about finding success as an indie hacker, how to stick to projects when they become a chore, and asking the question if we really should be doing that at the same time. You might notice that I'm a little sick in this episode, but Benedict jumped in and took over most of the talking, so that worked out great. Sorry for the few sniffles you can still hear though. As a small disclaimer, you will hear Benedicta talk about two companies, Zeda and Outzeda. She's employed by both of them as a developer relations, developer experience engineer type of person. Just putting it out there, but we'll mention it in the episode as well. Okay, enough of the intro. I hope you have fun with this one. I'm really, really proud of it. And I hear you at the end of the episode. And welcome to the episode three of the Code and Conquer podcast. Uh, today I have with me Benedicte Ray. I didn't ask for your last name <laughs> and I hope I pronounced that correctly. And um, yeah, welcome to the show. And why don't you tell us a little about yourself then? Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, you pronounced it the, the correct English way. That's how I usually <laughs> say it. And my alter ego is Queen Ray, because that's just so much easier to say. But uh, in Norwegian, my name is Benedicte Rå. Mm, which, uh, okay. <laughs> so the last name translated the way we say it, at least, is Rå. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so Queen Rå. I should probably go for that instead. But everybody reads my last name as Ray, so I just go with Ray. Um, no point in in trying to get the whole world to speak Norwegian. <laughs> that's uh, that's a lost cause. So um, I'm a bunch of different things at the moment. So <laughs> most of the time, or most of them, I just became the developer advocate for Outsera, which is an all-in-one membership uh, solution for uh, no-code. Uh, platforms or if you want to start your own SaaS, you can use that. Um, but I also do work for um, Cloudinary on their Gatsby plugins. We've also helped a company called Seda with some dev developer relation type projects. But I guess what I'm here for is that I also just keep on making products because I just <laughs> can't help it. Um, and it's then kind of lumped, not lumped in, but that, I feel like I am part of the indie hacker community, even though I don't live off any of my creations. But isn't that most indie hackers at some point, I guess? <laughs> Absolutely. And I don't, and it, you know, it depends. Sometimes you get, you get a label that you kind of haven't given yourself. Like a lot of my friends is very much like, like, oh, you're an entrepreneur. And I'm like, well, I have my own company because I do so many different things. I need to be employed one place and then build from that. Um, but I don't consider myself an entrepreneur because my dream isn't really to big like a large build a large company and sell it or anything like that. But I'm very much motivated by learning and creating. And I feel in many ways, um, I've, I've read this, some books where where artists talk about like how they they work and live and I feel like a lot of the times I do identify more with kind of their like they just have to create they just have to make things and then I've spent I guess the last 10 years figuring out how can you 
consistently create things and create <laughs> projects. And what I love creating are web projects. Like that is my medium. And how can you do that and get paid in some way or another? Um, so, yeah. I also kind of very, very much relate to the term entrepreneur feeling wrong. I don't know. It's too traditional for me. It's it's not something like I'm always imagining some businessman with a fancy, uh, fancy suit. Um, so I also just never related to that term. And I think employees, right? Like that comes with it a little bit. Like an entrepreneur, like wants to build a larger business, wants to employ people, uh, or at least that that's how I feel. And then my grandfather and grandmother were entrepreneurs, and they built a factory. Like that, it just feels so far off from from kind of what we're doing and the spaces that we hang out. But I do think over the last couple of years, we've gotten that new term like creator, which is more of a broad, for a while it was content creator, but then now it's more, the term is creator and you can create content or you can create a SaaS or you can create just like a whimsical web something. I don't know if you <laughs> saw the other day, I don't know who made it, but you could, you could scroll from the ground and all the way up into space and it would show you what would, what exists on different levels. Um, above sea level so there was you know you could just keep on scrolling and then at one point there was like a mountain goat and a old style plane was like on the same <laughs> level um, and you could just and I just love those kinds of things um, but we also need to make money another creative thing that I saw I mean it's a little um, it has a purpose, at least. Um, I think that such creative projects don't have to have a purpose. Um, but I saw also um, a developer with a 3D website where he could drive a car through his website uh, to the different stations, like his portfolio and then his, his uh, CV and stuff. Of course, you don't have to do stuff like this, right? But it's like kind of the thrill to do them um, and be creative. I think that uh, programming is way more of a creative job than most people think. Oh, definitely. When I did these, I did these um, um, talks when I was in university, we would go out to high schools and talk about why would you want to study computer science? And one of my my takes were that this is very creative and it's very much about, you know, understanding users because we saw a lot of people would opt out of that kind of education because they wanted to do something with people or something creative. Like that was their criteria. And then they were like, so definitely I will not study computer science. <laughs> and my take was always like, well, yes, you do, because you will be able to be creative. You will be able to work with people and you'll, you'll get paid more than these other <laughs> occupations that you are looking into. Um, and we want more of you in our industry. You know, yeah. we want those kinds of people in our industry. So yeah, that was my my take. I don't know if I ever inspired anyone on my, my little talks. We were sent around Norway from our university, but maybe I did. Hopefully I did. And I think so too. And especially like the mint it's called mint in, in german i'm not sure what the what the more international name for it is like all the math informatics and nature natural science and stuff um courses are full of men and um actually the best developers that i've worked with uh, mostly were women <laughs> um well, of course not. Yeah, of course they were <laughs> um <laughs> and uh, so i think that uh, one more creative people uh, for sure and more women should consider this um 
this this yeah. job because everyone can do it and it's a very creative job it is it's not like every time you talk to someone that has no connection to computer science or something they're all like oh you have to know math for that and i'm i i can count on one hand how much i needed math in like how many projects in, in the 10 years that i'm working professionally it depends on where you take it right it's it's one of those education that you can take in very many directions and you have some fun at least I, who come from a more traditional background with with taking a computer, doing a master's of computer science, um, I do have those foundational subjects in, in, you know, in the in the bottom, in the foundation, foundational subjects there. Uh, but there is other ways in. And there's also not, you didn't have to be like super interested in that if you didn't want to, like I personally yeah. really enjoyed math. So um <laughs> But there are many ways kind of to use the education and then there's many ways to get into the industry that isn't through that kind of education and we need just different types of people and that's kind of the essence of some some books that I read way back when when I was more interested in this topic which is kind of <laughs> not the topic of this podcast but let's see it yeah. through <laughs> um, there's a book called Unlocking the Clubhouse and they did a major um, program at the University of Carnegie Mellon I think in the States and what they realized when they did um, they did certain certain things to get more women into their program that was their stated goal but what they realized when they did that is that they also got a lot of different types of men so you know as you said there's like a certain type who think you know who who think they are the correct to study computer science <laughs> um and then but it's you know how we promoted it it's all of that kind well let's not dig into that but when they did all of these activities to get more women they also just got different types of men which made more people complete the program and also made people more happy with the program. Mm -hmm. So they they enjoyed the program more because it was a more diverse group of people on, in the program and not really on kind of gender, but just like more diverse type of people. Because um, on all kinds of, I guess, tests, you know, I wouldn't, I would score very close to my, to my <laughs> male co-students um because i was also taken in by the the same marketing right the same so we're very similar um and we need more unsimilar no our diversity yeah. yeah and i think it's also okay that we have some very very technical people right that yeah maybe don't have the best people skills there is some stereotype floating around <laughs> that some computer scientists might be that way um yeah. but i think um if you look at uh, like larger projects you always have to work with other people. You have to understand communication in a certain way. You have to understand the customer. You have to understand the people you're working with. You have to understand the management above you and have to kind of clear your head and you know people are stressed and you still have to communicate effectively with them. And um, so it's good to have a diverse set of people <laughs> in a team and not just the, the ultra nerds, right? Yeah. And then I think, you know, for for the indie hacking side of things, um, you definitely need to have more of those because if you're going to build anything for people, um, you can't just sit in, in your basement and hack away on algorithms. You'll, you'll need to make sure that you're making something that someone is going to use or want to use. In the best case, you did that before. <laughs> yeah, but the best case, you did that before. Yeah, you need to kind of pull on more, more of those skills 
um, and you need to uh, not work. You need to work on those skills. No, you need to kind of educate yourselves on those skills. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think. As an indie hacker, you need marketing. You need um, people skills to talk to actual customers. You need to have some way of doing customer support. Then you also have to be able to program something that works. But to get back into indie hacking a bit, how did you start going into that direction? Like, what? Like, did you just came come out of college and were like, I want to build things. I'm doing this now. Or did you have some way to ease yourself into that? I kind of fell into it, like I've done with a lot of things, I think, in my life. Um, my university education did not prepare me to build things. It was a very theoretical education. I did a lot of WordPress work on the side. So I think that was what gave me the most skills in terms of indie hacking, like doing those for, you know, for customers and, and charging money for that. And then after university, I started in a consultancy here in Norway, which is a very common path um, as as companies cannot hire and fire in Norway. Uh, most programmers work at consultancies and they're not business consultants. They're programming contractors, I would say. And then they're hired as staff augmentation into Norwegian companies so that they they can upscale and downscale their developer needs um, as they see fit. So I started working like that. But at that time, my friend uh, from university had made an iPhone app remote for Spotify. And then he asked me and two others if we wanted to join him on this project. And in that project, I became marketing in in essence. So I made the WordPress site as we did then. I created a forum. We did giveaways. I think I crocheted a hat for one of our earliest users. Um, he won some kind of competition. I can't remember the competition. This was back in 2010. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's some years ago. Um, and it went really well. We called it, I don't know if I said what it was called. We called it Remoteless, which was a weird name, but that's what we called it. And at a point, I think we did like four, four with 40,000 Norwegian crowners. So that would be 4K, I think, 4K US dollars a month or 4K euros, something That's like that, 4,000 yep. euros. Yeah. So we we're like, holy smokes, like we're so <laughs> good at this. Like this is amazing. So we quit our jobs and started an iPhone app company. And I think we tried to make some more of our own, but then we also did projects for people um, or for other companies and iPhones were all the rage at the time everybody wanted iPhone apps and I can't really remember how many if we made that many if like this is it's my memory it's not serving me well but but then he said then he was going to be a father and he wanted to not have the uncertainty of kind of this kind of business so we parted ways I still kind of got paid from that project for a good while until Spotify made their own remote or like they made remote controlling a part of their product and that kind of fell away. But that was a very good learning in case of all of the things you need to do. And it was very like early days. You could get a get away with a lot of like guerrilla marketing tactics. We would just, you know, scroll through forums and answer questions and kind of get customers that way. And mm -hmm. um, so that was my way in. And then what happened after that? Let's see. <laughs> and then I started working with just doing, I think I called it personal engineering. People could hire me to like do their WordPress sites or set up um, 
infrastructure or all that kind of, of things. And then I ended up selling some iPhone projects myself for companies as a contractor. Um, so I've always done just a million different projects. And during this, I just kept on making projects. I just do projects. Um, we had a Tumblr where we showcased how clothes would would look on like regular people. And I just had a bunch of my friends. We would we would recreate ads, um, but with all of us so that you could like see the ad with non-professional models oh, that's actually pretty funny i think it's still live fashiontweaks.com <laughs> i don't know if okay. i still pay for the for the url <laughs> we'll have to look into that uh, and then i just did projects with people we tried to explore different things and then i think in earnest we we start i was like okay let's make apps for parents of parents of small children it's like we need to focus on a customer you know, and a niche. This was before mm -hmm. the riches are in the niches um, kind of thing that came around. But then I was lucky, you know, with my background, I just kept on contracting on the side. And that's kind of how I, you know, made my living. Um, but then you realize more and more how unemployable you are. Because all the, all the <laughs> while I was like, okay, when I have kids, you know, whatever, I'll just start working again full time. But you realize that's, that's not an option anymore mm. um yeah and then we got into lily apps we called it lily apps after my grandmother lillian and we did lily maps lily sleep which were <laughs> iphone apps and then we did lily graham which i think could have been like a huge company if we'd kept at it and wanted to build like a bigger company but it would have needed investment so with lily grams what we did was that we took the photos you had on Instagram. If you tagged them with Lilygram, we would filter out those photos and then we would print it out and send it to the recipients that you had added. So the typical use case was that you were sharing photos of your kids on Instagram and then you would tag those with Lilygram and then we would make letters that were then sent to grandparents, essentially. So taking kind of something that was digital and taking it offline. Um, there are several tools that can do similar things these days. I don't, I've never found something that did exactly what we did, where it was more of a letter so that the recipient didn't get like a bunch of photos. They felt like they had to, you know, put on their walls, mm. but it was like a letter they could just store kind of with letters in that category instead. Um, and we did that and it did pretty well, actually. And we raised prices a couple of times and then we had a kid. But I think that's when I came to the realization that I really enjoy making things, seeing that they might work, and then I kind of lose interest. And I talked myself kind of out of it being a good business. Um, and then Instagram changed their API. And I think one of our backend as a service providers were shutting down. And we were like, okay, either we need to double down on this or we need to shut it down. And then we shut it down. Um, I do regret it a little bit now that we're talking about it because I think it could have been a could have been a great business. <laughs> I think it's I think it's interesting that you say um, the moment it becomes not profitable, the moment it becomes bigger and it starts growing, and you kind of have to think about is this going to be a business or not, then it becomes uninteresting to you. Have you thought about why that is the case? I think I think in a way though it's a lie. Like I say that, <laughs> but. What I am is afraid, like it's a fear of betting on the thing. And then what if it doesn't succeed? But then also what if it succeeds and I'm beholden to this thing forever? And I do see that with 
a lot of people kind of in our space where it's not enjoyable anymore. And I think I've been very afraid of getting into that kind of situation. So I think it's a fair of multiple things. And I think I've said then to myself, like, oh, no, it's because, you know, I I want to learn new things or it's not interesting to me when it starts working. Um, and I think there's truth in both. It's the fair. And then it's also the what I really enjoy is posing a question to myself. Can I make this work? And then when I show that it can work, I've, I've had a hard time then being like, OK, let's make this into business. Um, and when you meet a lot of indie hackers or solo founders, like they're very interested, like they're very concerned with like, and you have to be, you know, like the numbers and yeah, the churn, you know, you get very obsessed, but you have to be because you want to build a business that succeeds. And also a lot of the stuff that you need to do then is not coding, right? Which is a problem yeah. for us who are coders, which is why I'm now really happy to be a part of Altsera, where I am coming in as their developer advocate so I can make projects but I also get ownership in that company so I but I'm doing it with a team that's already established and they are obsessed with some of the things that I don't that I know is important but I don't want to look at every day or I don't want to obsess about every day so I think this is it's kind of the culmination of all of my experiences have come led to that opportunity and also uh, is, is a great opportunity and it's a great place for me to be where I can focus on my my skills, which is like getting stuff off the ground. It's like basically one of my biggest skill or greatest skills. And here then it will be creating tutorials, getting started, making fun projects to showcase the product. And yeah, just making little mini sasses that don't really have to go anywhere, but I can make them. I can post those questions. Can I make this? And then make it. And then we can open source the code and it doesn't have to become a business, right? And then keep on working on Outsera as a business, but then with just like my part, but still get that ownership and that, yeah, that sense of ownership and like being able to to have a say in how the business will be run, but not everything I come up with, I have to do. I think that's what has has stopped some of these other projects. Like, oh, we need, you know, for Lilygram to grow, we'll need to create this type of content. We need to do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, then I have to do it. Like, <laughs> It's on me <laughs> yeah, there, to do there's it. There's no one else. <laughs> there's no one else. Um, but here there's a team and like, you know, I was like, oh, we should make stickers. And the designer was like, yes, we should make stickers. And now he's designing stickers. And I'm like, yes, amazing. Yeah. Actually, for, for the last week or something, I've also dabbled in this um, thought that developer advocate is mostly the roles called that, that you're mm -hmm. describing is kind of the perfect fit for someone like my my profile on twitter says um this guy and points in my profile picture builds experiments and writes about them and then there's just a follow follow arrow um and i think that this role is actually very interesting to me as well as it's just you can build experiments all the time I don't have to make money. That just has to be int interesting or help someone. Then you can write about them and then you can kind of forget them when they're starting to get boring. So I think that that's a role that some of us might actually fit better than the indie hacker where you have like marketing and you have to meet with business people. You have to meet with the banks if you need financing. You have to do funding if you're going bigger. Um, 
and that's all things where I'm not 100% I want to add so much of my valuable time there uh, if I could build stuff uh, instead. I think it depends also a lot on like what kind of life do you want to lead and what are your possibilities. I think if kind of making a profitable SaaS is one of the few ways, like very few ways that you can see yourself having the life that, that you want, then, you know, then you might be more open to doing some of those tasks that you don't enjoy. But then, you know, we, we have, or I guess for most of you can choose, you have to become really interested in building a business. Mm-hmm. I see that with everyone, like, at some point, you need to be more interested and inspired about building a business than hacking or creating, uh, kind of, because you will do more and more of that. And some people that were coders, like, grow into that role and really, really loves it. Like, they they get to evolve a different skill set. Like, maybe they were bored with coding. Like, this is a new way for them to learn something new, to grow as a person and grow their business. Other people don't. Um, And that's where you have to think like, okay, yes, I can make this a profitable, good business. But is this the only way I can make money? And is it worth it? Like, will the money be worth it if I don't enjoy the life that I have? And that is like, it can be, the answer to that will be very personal. Like the same business will be energizing and creative and all of that to one person and it will not be to another person but then you don't have but then you you can kind of conf- but then sometimes and that's what i realize i've done several times with my project is that i talk myself into the reason i'm quitting is because of that <laughs> but then the reason might very much be fair or uncertainty or you know just being a little fed up with it and not kind of pushing through um but to go back to that, yeah, you could keep on going with the business, but you can also become a content creator or a creator in more a general term that we alluded to before, where you then take your kind of hacking knowledge and you build up a creative creator business around it, um, where you can, you know, become a um, YouTuber or, uh, you know, Twitter, and then you, you live off of sponsorships. And that is what Arvid Kahl is doing now. Like he had a SaaS, he sold his SaaS, and now he is is a creator um, and he creates podcasts and, and, and content around building SS. But you can do that with code or more of the technical side of indie hacking. Like he's more on the business side. You could also do that for more of the technical side. So that's a route and you can build up yourself as a celebrity basically. But then you get sponsorships and that's how you get paid. But then you could also go more of the developer relations, developer advocate route where you do this for a business and you get a regular salary or you do it as an agency that sell to these companies and then you have your own business, but you do the same types of um, activities. Um, yeah, so that skill set, because if you've done a little bit of indie hacking, you've done, even though you, you didn't do it well, you've done some marketing, you've done some sales, you like, you, you and if and if you enjoyed, like I really enjoy the marketing aspects, but not but not only that, like I, I I, have to come back to the coding. I need that to be coding, to be a part of my everyday kind of practice. So if I, I would have ended up in a 100% marketing role, like that would not have been as 
as interesting, I guess, um, for me. Or fulfilling, um, maybe. Fulfilling, yes, yeah. that's the word. Fulfilling um, <laughs> for me. So I really, and I str struggle with that because I do feel fulfilled when I have multiple projects and I can jump between the projects, but then suddenly they can become too much. Um, <laughs> but but I realized the ones that at time, the times I've narrowed it down to being like, I shall only focus on this one thing. I do notice that I get kind of like, itchy and like i gotta like get that itch like i need another side project and you could say that well maybe i shouldn't listen to that but i realized i need to listen to that and i'll just have to make it work with multiple projects and uh, it's starting to work so it's the same thing for me right um this podcast was an idea for not a side business but a side project every every indie hacker project i started was something where i went oh what you know what would be interesting is and then Mm -hmm. the idea that you have and i have ideas like this like two or three every week so yeah. you have to kind of write them down and then maybe you forget some of them but some of them come back to you uh time and time again and then it's something like this could be something interesting i could could work on yeah. and and i struggle there like when is it when is it a true this is a project i should do and when is it just like i don't want to do the thing that i'm supposed to do mm -hmm. yeah. or when is it kind of the fair pulling me away from the thing or like i think in the art of was it the it's not the art of war because that's a completely different book but there's a book that's like similarly named that is about create creative writing or writing yeah. um yeah where they call it the resistance right there is something in you that resists doing the things that you know you should do to move this project forward that could make it a successful project and it's hard to know kind of when it's the resistance and when it's it's kind of your own your your true kind of creative um self who's asking for that yeah. that project um but yeah you can make it work for you right so devrels do make it work for them because they can create new things all the time but then i, I talk to them and they sometimes feel like you know they would like some of their projects to live longer. It's like it becomes a treadmill where it's like new stuff all the time. Um, and I think that is kind of um, true for creators as well. Like you have to things have to be new all the time. While when you're being a good indie hacker and focusing on your one project, it's the opposite, right? You keep working on this one project, even when you have nothing to say and nobody cares and and. And if you are then the kind of person who wants external validation and and that kind of thing, like that gets very lonely. And yeah. So do you do you actually have a pretty big, uh, pretty good setup in that in that um, kind of sense? Because now you're, if I understood correctly, working two days at Outsetter mm -hmm. and then three days doing your projects. I'm assuming. I do some regular contracting as a front end developer still, um, and that that was. At this point, it was mostly just because I actually wanted to go to an office and just meet people because it turns out that I'm more extroverted than I want to admit. Um, but yes, I work for Alcera and then we do some project developer relations type projects for SETA. And that is very interesting for the indie hackers who are listening because after having gone through all of my projects and we kind of stopped before we went into the projects I'm known for because <laughs> Lily Maps and Lily this and Lily that, people in Norway still can be like oh you're the person who made lily at you know those apps for for parents of small <laughs> children i'm like it's 10 years ago or like eight years ago but that shows you how long it takes to market right it mm -hmm. usually when i have quit something 
I will say the opportunities often come like two years after, three years after. It's like, oh, you make apps? Uh, you know, can you make an app for me? And it's like, I don't do that anymore. Um, so I've been trying to slow down. And then instead of, and since I know I need more things, then just keep at them for longer, but on on less time every week. So um, yeah, so we work, um, so we created, I pitched a um, database startup, Seda, on sponsoring it us as we built out a product that we called Prune Your Follows that will help you find accounts on Twitter to unfollow. And the reason for this was that I had reached my maximum. I've been on Twitter for 14 years. I was following 5,000 people because <laughs> I just follow anyone. And I couldn't follow any more people and I couldn't figure out how to unfollow. And then I had this idea, of course, it's like, could I? <laughs> Would it be possible? <laughs> uh, so I did a little bit of hacking one weekend and I was like, well, I will never make money off of this app probably. Or now it seems like we maybe could because it actually gotten a lot more popular than I ever thought it would be. But I was like, you know, my time invested in this to make it available to the public will will not, you know, I, it will be too little. So I pitched them on like, hey, I can use your product in my product and then I will build it like I always build things by being very public about how I'm building it and then uh, on and be very transparent that, you know, this project is sponsored by Seda. And I've, I've not seen that been done in that extent before. I've seen companies like Seda build their own side projects. That happens some, sometimes that a, that a product uh, has their own side project, like little, little mini sites or little products that uh, point back to them. But I haven't seen kind of somebody doing that as a service. So we kind of tested it out. Um, and it's been really, really fun because then we got kind of the time we needed to make that initial version. And my assumption that and what I've experienced before that if you build your product on somebody else's API, like we did with Lilygram that was on Instagram and then they changed, then, you know, you, you know, you can't control that. And I didn't want mm -hmm. like a business that I was supposed to like live, live off of, or I don't know what, but like, I didn't want it to be kind of that kind of a project. So we went into it, into it knowing that this might not be something that lives forever. But we kind of um, made it work because we got that sponsorship money and we then built uh, Pruner Follows. And then obviously, as we all know, Twitter has changed their APIs and, and we're having some issues right now. We don't even know. Like I today it was working, but I don't know why it's working because they're supposed to have revoked their access, but it's still working. And 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 um, yeah, and we don't know. But um, but it's been an interesting way to kind of scratch that creative itch, um, but not having the product itself need to become a viable, um, business. Yeah. The, like you, you have been, you have been, uh, affected by platform risk, I, I guess a few times now, first yeah. the Instagram API changed and the Twitter API changed. Um, yeah. nobody has $42,000 lying around. Um, And now, like, I feel for all the Twitter, I feel for all the Twitter creators and indie hackers because all of these projects are done for. I do, I do feel, I do feel for them, but also it's like, don't build. I think Michelle Hansen of Geocodia says it's like, don't build your house on somebody else's lawn. Like, this is, if you do that, you need to, you need to accept the risk. So, you know, for Prune Your Follows, when this changed, like, I, I was mad. Like, you know, the whole business is set up that, Like we weren't, 
you know, we made our money in a different way. Like we didn't, so it, it's, we didn't make our money from users. Like what if we had sold lifetime access? Like that would have been a backlash against me because then, okay, what, what would I do then when Twitter changes everything and they can't get the features that they paid for? Um, so if moving forward, we might set up some kind of sponsorship. Like if we're going to make this work in the future, we will need to be able to cover our Twitter API expenses, which will for us only be a hundred dollars a month. Um, but it will be a very limited feature set and we have to be very upfront with that, but we need them to rewrite, rewrite it. So either I need a new sponsorship or I need, or we will need our users to sponsor us and then we can create and keep on going with pruner follows because pruner follows at the moment it's just insane because um <laughs> something happened <laughs> yeah something happened so first over christmas we got a, a TechCrunch article that did very well oh wow okay. uh, which was kind of cool but then and we did a pretty nice uh, product hunt launch launch um but then right before i think it was last week levels io who is like the goat of the greatest of all time when it comes to indie hacking. Uh, he has 270 followers on Twitter, I think. And he tweeted about Pruner Follows because a friend tipped him off about that. And I was like, oh, no. Like, of all my projects, like, this is not the project I need Levels IO to tweet about because the Twitter API already, without the changes, limits our possibilities a lot um we can only unfollow 500 people across all our users oh, so no. imagine he tweeting we got 1300 new users in like two hours who were all like going at it and <laughs> you know unfollowing people so it took about an hour i think or even less before <laughs> people were like well this app doesn't work and i'm like yeah well we kind of haven't been working on it because we don't know what's going to happen with the changes. So we definitely did not build it so that <laughs> he will tweet about us. Um, but on the other hand, as a marketing vehicle, which is which it which it is more than uh, just an indie, you know, like or a business, we now have nine hundred and sixty-one emails collected on that mm. app that people have given given us to get updates. So, you know, that is a good, I would say that that's, that's a good kind of lead magnet for, for SATA then, because now we can email all of them with status updates and sponsored by SATA um, and like keep that conversation going. So in a way it was good, but like, <laughs> and I'm happy that I'm at this stage of my life because I went off to a horse camp that weekend and people were like it's not working and like this feature isn't working and i was like it's fine but i think <laughs> 10 years ago i would have been like you know on my computer at the horse camp like replying to everybody and you know oh my god my reputation is down the drain and people think i'm a horrible programmer and all of that kind of things and and sitting in the car going there i was like you know getting older is, is it doesn't good really sometimes. matter in the end yeah yeah i'm gonna go i'm gonna ride horses and <laughs> Life is good. Um, uh, as someone that uh, is struggling with uh, the stress a lot still, <laughs> maybe mm -hmm. I have some more years to go before I get that cooled down. How did you like, how do you think you got this calmness in you? What like what changed? What did you that, what did you do or what do you do different now? I don't think I, I've done anything specific. <laughs> Getting older, for one thing, is just like <laughs> helps. Um, put things into perspective. I just think that I've done so many 
projects and kind of been sharing for many I'm not one of the big ones like I don't have a massive following or anything like that but I have been creating little projects we've had users for different projects um dealt with you know um both good and bad support tickets and I just think being out there and being exposed to it after a while you well, not everybody, I guess, but at least I like ended up with like, it's not, it's not the end of the world. Like a lot of times it's not the end of the world. Somebody can be really mad and you help them and they love you. Right. And, or they love your product or something that was critically important and then you fix it and they now don't use it for another, it takes a month before they, they use that thing that was critically important. So I just think with time, like I'm, I'm, I've just gotten calmer on that. I guess it's that fear of being called out or like the fear of somebody thinking you're not like that good at what you do or, or that, you know, that type of perfectionism, like perfectionism is, is a lot of people say that that is, you know, fair masked. Yeah. And imposter syndrome. And, but that thing, when people are like, well, I don't want to ship my product, you know, because I'm a perfectionist (laughs) and they say that kind of as like, you know, I'm better than you. But then I've seen a lot of, of people who have like further along in their journeys or who work more in like psychology will say that the the perfect when you say that what you are actually saying is that you are afraid and you are using kind of perfectionism as your excuse to um to ship or share and by doing that uh, but you're saying it's you know you're you're making it something noble in your mind or towards others, but what you really are is masking that fear. Um, yeah. And I think a book that helped me um, a lot is called The Art of Asking, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Let People Help. And it's by Amanda Palmer, who is a musician. The perfect Indie Hacker title. <laughs> it is. And I think she's one of the biggest Patreon, has one of like the biggest Patreon subscribers or followers or whatever they call it on Patreon. Um, but it's a very interesting book and I think it's a good read for everyone who is more kind of developer at their core because it's a it's a very different approach to life and a very different approach to kind of like building her her kind of artistry and her life and her business. It's just very different from what we are used to and she's living her best life. So that's also a way of doing, doing things. And I think that helped. So and just reading, I just, you know, reading in general, just reading other people's perspectives on 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 things is is very helpful and and reading more from the creative side or the creator side than the you know how to get the best security in your web app like Mm -hmm. that that doesn't help with your fears that just adds to your fears (laughs) because you know you're never going to be that good (laughs) yeah but i felt i felt very attacked uh with your monologue about being perfectionist and kind of thinking about it in a noble way and actually a masking fear uh, which is something I'm doing actively and I have done with the project that failed in the past, like the, the SaaS business that I worked on for two years and never launched. Um, mm-hmm. The perfect perfect SaaS business, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and the perfect indie hacker, how not to do it uh, project. And yeah, I think that's still an issue for me. Being open more than I want to, like being even more open than you try uh, in the indie hacker bubble to be. Uh, sharing more, trying to show more things that are not done 
is something that's very, very hard for me. That's why I'm, I also asked the question, like, how did you get rid of this? Because <laughs> I don't think I'm there. <laughs> I think the biggest thing is to, it's like one of those really annoying advice because it's like the advice is do it. Like the only way to get through it is by starting <laughs> to do it. You need yeah. to expose yourself to it. You need to, yeah, you need to ship a feature where the edge cases aren't covered. And you need to see that that's going to be okay. Or it might blow up, but you're going to make your way through that as well. Like the, and you know, it's, it's, and it's just, yeah, one of those annoying advice, which the advice is do it. And of course you can <laughs> read books and you can listen to people that will make you more inclined to start doing it. But in the end, it's like, do it. That's the, <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. But like making this podcast, like that is definitely putting yourself out there and, you know, doing it and then maybe cut out less ums for the next one and see how that feels because people are here here for the content and then maybe somebody's like oh there was a lot of ums in that podcast and it's like well you listen to it you got something out of it put it on two two x the speed then if you what did you make no <laughs> you know a lot of and that that's where a lot of the critique comes from right and i've had that critique and i still do it i still catch myself doing it like i could have done that better like did they ship that like mm, you know and and i started recognizing that as me kind of excusing that i don't do it because like i would have done it better or you know that inner monologue we all have like mm -hmm. a little bit of a nasty inner monologue and we're a little jealous and petty and all of those things. And I started I mean, to, yeah. yeah, so I started to listen to more of those. And um, one of those was live streaming, which I now love. But for a long time, I was like, these live streamers are just stupid. Like, who watches that? <laughs> it's just like waste of time. And like, who do they think they are? And, and I wouldn't like say it like that out loud, but that was basically what was happening in my head. And then somebody challenged me to do it. And then I was like, why? Why am I so negative to something that I don't watch and I don't do? Like, why do I keep being so negative to it? Like, wh why am I having this reaction? And I realized it's because I was jealous. Like, I wanted to do it. And I did it. And I love it. Still not a big streamer. Still do it every other week because I just love doing it. And it's worth doing for me, even if it's not ending up being the biggest streamer. Um, yeah. So listening to those, like... Yeah, weird. Like some self-help books will ask you to do that. Like, who are you most jealous of? And then you try to like figure out why. And then you're like, okay. I mean, that's not the worst thing to do. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, but also just like listening, at least me, when that like inner critic comes up for others, like when I see them do something and I have these like petty thoughts, like I'm often like, okay, that's because that they're doing something that I want to be better at, or they're doing something that I don't dare do because I'm afraid of being critiqued or I'm afraid of being um, challenged on that. So I just don't do it. Um, and that's when I'm like, I got to do it. I have an anecdote regarding exactly that because, um, and I already told him himself that it's that way so we can talk about it on the podcast. Um, there is an indie hacker called Pere Ayats, and I think he's based out of uh, Barcelona. And um, I saw him do like a weekend project, like something very small. He just like hooked hooked up something to the uh, Twitter API. Uh, his product was called Tweet Niche. I think now with the API changes, it has been discontinued. And I think he worked on it like a weekend, maybe maybe longer. Maybe that was just uh, the official build in public part. And um, then he launched it and he made 
a few thousand bucks from it. And I was sitting there looking at his Twitter feed and was like, this is like nothing. Why did you do this? Like, how did you make money from this? And I was very, very petty about it. And I actually, I, I took one of his tweets, I think, and I retweeted it uh, with, a, with a quote and was like, the first thing, like my first reaction to this was jealousy. And I think... Um, putting that out there in public and saying, I I, I'm, I'm, I realized that I'm jealous about this and I realized that I have to concentrate on my own journey more and take these people as not as um, enemies or something to be, to be a negative about. I have to just take them as inspiration and see and, and take them as, see, you can build something and you can put it out there and it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't even have to be good in the first states. Um, it just has to be out there and this just do it mindset just works and uh, you can be jealous of it but maybe just try it yourself instead in instead of being jealous yeah and then you notice you're going to be less jealous and also more in awe of others projects like I am much less kind of critical of other projects now that I've done several of my own both because you see what it actually takes um, but also just because I'm, you know, since I've done some myself, I don't, I don't feel the need that much to be <laughs> petty anymore. Yeah. You know? It's, it's, uh, it's weird. Like, and, and also you see kind of what it takes to achieve some things that you thought you wanted. And then when you start kind of going in that, making like small, small, uh, steps in that direction, you realize kind of what what comes with that and then maybe you realize that what they have is is not what you want anymore and that is also valid feedback like you you have to try something to realize if that is something at least i have had misconceptions about what it would take and not like take in the sense of like do I need to grind or anything like that? But like, what are the activities and, and what would my life have to look like to be able to do that or to get that? And then you realize that, oh, I might not want that. And I think that the like the big analogy, talk to musicians or people who wanted to be musicians, they say, uh, everybody, you know, everybody wanted to be in a band, but what you do most of the time is practice in, in your basement. And if you don't enjoy practicing in your basement at all, like at some point you need to push through, but like if that is some an activity you do not enjoy at all, you know, maybe not be in a band. And yeah. I think for some of us, and I realized for me with like SaaS business, it's like, okay, for me that has been like the band. Like I want a SaaS <laughs> business, but then do I really want to do all of the things that you need to do to have a widely successful SaaS business. Do you really want to do like marketing in your basement all day? <laughs> do you want to do marketing? And for me, like marketing there, and that's also something I realized that you can do many types of different marketing. So mm. if something works for another company, you can try that. And then you can also try other things. And you might see that for them, it's like a 10 on the effort scale, or for them, it's like a two on the effort scale. And then for you, it's like a 10 on the effort scale. So yes, you could get the same kind of success, but for you, it will kind of be a worse ROI because you will spend way too much energy on forcing yourself through it. While another type of activity is something you might enjoy. And then you don't even have to have that high of an ROI on it marketing wise, because you just enjoy doing the thing. Um, yeah. So that's also, you know, you can test different 
ways of doing things and then figure out where where it kind of steals your energy and what gives you energy. So for me, streaming gives me energy. So even if it doesn't really work as a massive marketing um, tool, like it will, it gets streamed to Twitter, like people see it. It's definitely not nothing, but I can't be like, this is like an amazing marketing tool for me. But it gives me energy. So doing it, it's like, it's fun. It gives me energy. I want to keep on working on things because I stream and when I stream. So then do it. But like, if you hate it, every second you stream, <laughs> you know, even though it's a could be a good marketing engine for you, it's probably not going to be a good marketing engine yeah. for you because people will see that you hate it. <laughs> uh, so I try to think, you know, more, more like that. And then, yeah, back to the band. So for me, I think... Um, I I don't particularly want to be an employer, even if those are freelancers, and kind of coordinate and administrate. I I am a pretty good administrator when I take the time to do it, but mm -hmm. I realized that it's... And I also always thought that that was like one of the things I was really good at, and I realized that I'm kind of quite good at it, but I don't enjoy it <laughs> that much. It just um, needs to get done. Yeah, and as soon as I am a little bit off, like that gets very... Then I forget forget it but I really do actually enjoy the marketing and I actually enjoy the sales a lot more than I thought like direct kind of sales like talking to people and be like hey you need this product product and like talking about the product and their needs and that kind of things and then I also really like developing stuff so I have a, kind of a lot of it but I don't really enjoy kind of that I don't know it's like I went to microconf and they were all talking and using words and I was like, I should probably be interested in this or like learn this because otherwise like I won't have a business and I just couldn't. I couldn't for the life of me. And I usually can talk like I can talk about everything as you can hear on this podcast. But like <laughs> I was listening to these conversations. And I was like, these are not conversations I do want to. I don't want to have these conversations. Um, but I do think Jeff in in that set, I like he loves those. He loves going to micro SAS and or microconf and, and having those conversations. So now that I'm a part of that team where like they can like he can do that part and somebody. Yeah, I realized that was a much better fit for me, even though I've for the longest time thought like I wanted to do things on my own. I then in the end realized, but it had to be the right company and I needed ownership because I need. Yeah, I need to kind of have a ownership stake in what I'm doing. So what kind of marketing are you doing or what do you enjoy and what do you not enjoy? I enjoy the streaming. <laughs> I enjoy creating edited videos that I haven't done that much but I enjoy it but it's one of those creative acts which is a pain while I'm doing it and I postponed doing it and I think it's a lot of fear of you know and I'm wanting it to be really good and 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 stuff like that so so now I am trying moving forward I'm trying to focus on making one every other week and have it consistency be the main focus and not quality um, cause that has really worked for me before because writing has always been something that I've struggled with being dyslectic and getting really bad feedback all through high school and, or all through school. Um, but then I challenged myself through this, yeah, uh, to write an email every day. And I did that and I've done that for almost, I would say it was every day for a year and now it's more like three times a week. Um, where I write something about for a while there, I wanted to be a Gatsby authority and kind of am. That's <laughs> that's what I'm known for <laughs> now. Uh, but then they got bought by Netlify anyway. Um, 
but then I wrote every day. Um, and again, it's it's one of those things where I thought like I, I wouldn't like it, but I gave myself a challenge and I did it and I would see how it went. And it turned out that I found it much easier to write almost every day than I found it to write, you know, one newsletter a month or one, you know, because then it becomes like this huge thing. So other marketing, I love just being on Twitter. I love going to meetups and talking to people. I love going to conferences. I enjoy giving talks. I don't enjoy prepping the talks. I'm trying to figure <laughs> out how to do that. Um, it would be a good team. I, I love prepping them. I don't really like doing them. <laughs> yeah, see, we can become co-developer relations people. You can make them and then I just practice them and Perfect. hold them. No. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of enjoy and I also enjoy starting to look more into kind of SEO and how that plays out because I've seen a lot of people have success with that. And I think it's it's a it's a way for several of my products to to get traction and kind of and now that I've had that practice writing, hopefully I can also kind of write these articles without it taking so long that the ROI is just like it doesn't exist because uh, I still have um, a hard time writing longer form articles and kind of completing a longer form article but I've done done some of that um, but yeah is there any other kinds of marketing what are the other kinds of marketing <laughs> I don't know I like the, the thing that I always feared and I had to do I d didn't have to do uh, fortunately in my first company I ever joined uh, was called called acquisition where you just call people and go like you want this product right and you have to get like the real like the like the decision makers on the phone and stuff and i hate 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 doing this like i, I think never we want call to call that, that sales that's yeah <laughs> straight up sales and not and i not never marketing. want to do that i never because the to marketing is supposed to be in place so that you don't have to do the cold outreach you just do the warm outreach they actually know who you are and they want to talk to you right um but but yeah, but back to my product, I think we kind of forgot to talk about that. Um, before yes. becoming a Gatsby authority, I think <laughs> what I'm most uh, or what I'm most known for on Twitter is POW, which is the Privacy First Menstrual Cycle Journal, which came out of me not doing side projects for a while, then thinking I was not going to do side projects. I was going to get back into speaking um, as my creative outlet. And saw an article about how health apps and menstrual cycle trackers among them would share data with Facebook ad or other like third-party ad platforms. So they would share the events. Um, and I was like, oh boy, like how, but how, how, how could we make, so or how could one make something that would make that impossible? Because what we do with all of these apps, like we trust the person that per the person making the app is trustworthy. And for some reason, even though I am a developer, but I'm mostly a front end developer, I hadn't connected the dots on that, you know, anyone working at a company would have access to the database. So if you're using software that is sensitive in nature, Yes, like they do all kinds of things to make sure un, you know, unwanted people to get access. And, you know, in the case in this Wall Street Journal, you know, they were willingly sharing with ad brokers, which is, a, you know, crazy. But then you also have, you know, all the companies were like, yeah, because I got I was using Clue at the time, a Berlin startup, still support them. Um, but they sent me an email where they were just like, 
only cer- certain select people in our company have access to these databases. And I was like, ding, ding, ding. This means that, you know, my coworker or my or my ex-coworker or my like student buddies or whatever, like they could work at this company. They could have this kind of access. And I don't really, I don't want to, I'm not like that privacy skeptic, but it was more like, but they could, right? Then we're relying on them not to be bad actors. So I asked myself a set of questions, like how could this be made? And I had like a set of criteria and I made that into a talk proposal. Like how could I make a, a like a privacy first menstrual tracker? Is it even possible? I think was the talk title. And um, I wanted it to be available on like web like on multiple devices. I wanted it to be, be impossible for the developers to have access and a couple of other criteria. And it turns out that's possible. You can use encryption, end-to-end encryption where everything is encrypted and the only one that can decrypt it is the user. Turns out making a product that's encrypted is pretty damn hard. <laughs> yeah. And uh, all <laughs> of our teaching, <laughs> yeah, and all of our teaching. So I ended up using a backend as a service, user base, which worked really well. Um, but it turns out product development is really hard because I can't spy on my users. And if you go look at like all of the best practices, it's all about spying on our users. You know, you have Hotjar to see what people are doing in the browser. I can't do that. I'm fil- Hotjar films whatever is mm-hmm. happening on the screen. I can't film what they're typing. Then you know the encryption is kind of void, right? Because I could then see what they're writing. Um, and then I kind of and this is where I spiraled a little bit, where I was like, but. I can't and I can't track the marketing like I have to be super private and I kind of painted myself into this perfectionist privacy corner um, (laughs) that I haven't really gotten myself out of because I kind of did that and then I started going to conferences and everybody wanted to talk to me about like menstrual health and their um, journey of conceiving their children and how that was hard. And I was like, I'm just a developer. I'm like sitting here at these conferences and kind people are weird, like yeah. dumping their kind of stories. And I'm like, I, I'm i a developer. I'm a developer. And I had this like, I, this is not the identity. I don't want to be the hormone lady. Like I had a very hard time <laughs> with that kind of identity shift where people were perceiving me as not a de- like they were talking to me not as a developer, but as kind of that you know, that I was an expert in, in, in menstrual health, which I am not. So that kind of made me run from it a little bit um and then they you know there was the pandemic and and a lot of things happened and i kind of ran from it but we still have 50 active subscribers and i keep saying like why aren't they unsubscribing <laughs> like i need them all to leave so i can like quietly <laughs> shut it down um but i am hopeful that i within the the next year so this was 2019 i made the pro- talk proposals and then well because that I forgot that part of the story. While I was pro- procrastinating and making the slides, I made the app. <laughs> so that's how the app was born. Um, <laughs> so that's how much I hate preparing for talks. Um, so this was 2019. So at, by the end of 2019, I was kind of I had the MVP going a little bit, and then we launched March 8, 2020, which was just Norway closed down like two days later. I think mm. our launch party was one of the last things that I I went to um and then kind of I was like oh I'll be a YouTuber so I there was an air period there where I just did a lot of YouTube videos and then um but now I feel like with Pruner Follows I'm hoping to do something similar with POW that we can get some sort of sponsorship 
to keep working on it because I think it's an important application. I think there's a lot of content, great content that can be made out of it because it turns out that making something encrypted, making a product that is encrypted is hard. Encryption is not hard, but making a product that's encrypted is hard, but it's it's an interesting case. Um, so now that I've kind of fallen more into content creation, I feel like POW kind of has space to be a part of of what I do again, because then I can focus less on making it kind of like a money maker and more using it as a place to explore and then create content from that. Um, but then there might also be we might get enough users, um, but we'll but we'll see. Um, and I think and I think it's a very very interesting product. Actually, both my products that I stuck with and I'm like the one that I abandoned now I didn't stick with it um, but I did stick with it for like two years um, I would have loved something like this because I always wanted that like people could draft their stories with this so authors would go and uh, create scenes and then could reorder the scenes and add their characters to it and stuff so it was called creative writing and drafting your story and I never really wanted the story to be on my server so I would have loved something like this as a tutorial or as a guide or whatever um, to tell me what I could do to encrypt everything. So uh, I can write on my website, I never see what your story is actually about because I could obviously see what it's about. I could mm -hmm. enter the database and I did uh, when I had to um, re-upload it a few times with backups and stuff. So I saw scenes uh, uh, fortunately, only two of my friends were users uh, in the beginning <laughs> because I never launched it. Yeah, um, yeah. But oh. I would have loved it for this. I would also love it for the project I'm working on right now because, again, it's creative content created with an AI, with an AI, but you can still edit it yourself. And I still don't really want that data on my server, to be honest. And I think that you have something here that can benefit a lot of people with their products and make more data privacy friendly stuff um, that people can use. So 100% this is a market and the project itself, of, of course, can sell as well. Yeah. And I think also now it became too kind of attached to me in a way and that kind of identity thing uh, that happened. Um, and so I kind of like shied away from it. And also a little bit of that fear because I got a lot of support. I got so much support that I was like, oh my God, this is too much. Like, what if I can't live up to everybody's expectations? So I think definitely was that fair component again. And I think even though it's only three years ago now, I think like my journey, a lot has changed from 2020 until now about what I do online and like how attached I feel or like how personally attacked I would feel if somebody didn't like my my product. Um, and I've had more practice in that and, and it being such a private and, and personal product, it, you know, and again, you know, friends would use it. Like, you know, I'll go to parties and they'd be like, Oh, I'm using it. And I'm like, don't, <laughs> don't, what if you don't yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I had, yeah, I feel like I'm in a different place now where, where it would make sense to pick it up again, especially since these, these early customers never left. But just finding that kind of correct balance of, you know, where you're making your money and like how I balance the different projects and um, and and stuff like that. I think it, it can be interesting. Um, so, you know, if a privacy focused tool 
is listening to this and want to sponsor POW, <laughs> I'm willing to change backends for you. <laughs> Everything is in the show notes, my friends. Yes. You can always contact her and she's <laughs> open to change the backend. Um, At yeah. any time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but actually, but actually, uh, regarding this point, like, how did you come up with the idea or what would you... Like, what would you recommend for other indie hackers or maybe people like me who are not, like, are indie hackers but would be open to developer relations and stuff? Like, how do you approach a company and say, hey, I would like to work for you in a contract way or in a in a, a part-time way and then get sponsored by them? Because, because I think that's a model that I have never seen before. Like, of course, big creators are doing it, right? Um, I know Theo from um, Ping.gg on Twitter does it uh, with Clerk, uh, the authentication service. But I th still think there's something very special about this. Yeah, because that is more you get sponsored to create a piece of content and you put that out to your audience. That is a very normal way to do things. And what we did was create a product or project or indie hacking project. And then we got paid for that. And as you say, I, I haven't really seen anyone do it. And if somebody is doing it, please send me links because it's much easier to sell something that has an established market mm -hmm. and an established name because I don't know what to call it yet. I call it building public <laughs> projects or um, partnerships. Um, but I think it came out of me deciding like, okay, I'm going to be a Gatsby authority. I'm going to write consistently. We're going to stream consistently. And it worked. Like, I am a Gatsby authority. Things changed with Gatsby. But still, I've shown... I've been consistently creating and consistently showing up on the internet. And somehow, and I've heard this from other people, opportunities start coming your way. So even if not all of them have been Gatsby... I would say this project, the Outsetta um, gig that I got, and also the Cloudinary work, which is directly related to Gatsby. But all of them came out of starting to show up consistently and creating content and being there and talking to people and just being open and friendly and all of those things. And... And opportunities kind of come. So what happened was that Seda reached out to me for a different thing that wasn't a fit. And then I just had this epiphany, like, we could make this with Seda. Would they be interested in in partnering on that? And then I just tweeted them. <laughs> and that's how that happened. But it wouldn't, like, you can't just go around cold, back to your cold calling. You can't just go around cold DMing companies being like, hey, I want to build something for you, you know? So... It's it's not so formulaic. It's not you you can't kind of engineer it in the same way that you can engineer code. It's 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 just putting a lot of things out there and I think like the cliche way of saying it is like you increase your luck surface area or something. Cause it's basically luck. But but the the more you share and the the more you are open and honest and consistent in the way you show up you get a larger luck surface area. And this has been consistent with other people I talked to that I've started creating online. And it doesn't have to be indie hacking. Like it could be blog posts. I tell everyone, every younger developer I meet is like, start a blog. This is the thing I do. Oh, really? That I do really, really, really berate myself for not doing. Because whenever I've started blogging, it had to be like a thing, like it, its own publication. <laughs> like now I'm Queen Ray, like I still do it, right? 
But what about just like yourname.com and start blogging and just keep that blog and let it evolve with your interests and don't think so much about like what kind of publication is this or what, you know, just not make it into such a big thing. Like, cause I need like a logo and a brand and for everything. And, but just like yourname.com and start blogging about what you do at work, what you learned today, what you learned yesterday, what you, you know, and, and in the beginning, you'll be the only one reading it, but you'll, you'll start Googling your own stuff. Like I Google queenray.codes all the time because I forget how to do things in Gatsby. And then I know I've written about it so I can go back and Google. So in the beginning, I would say, you know, it's just for yourself, but it's it, it helps you commu- learn how to communicate. It helps you to write and all of those skills that you mentioned earlier. And then it also starts increasing your like surface area that we called it. And it's so much easier going to the next interview or consulting interview or full-time interview or whatever you want to do if they can see that you are interested enough that you write about what you do um, and they can get to know you better and the better they know you, the easier the interview will be. Um, And then people will ask you to come on podcasts or, and then, (laughs) you know, and, and I like to show up and, and, and be helpful in that way as a guest. And it's not like I think tomorrow or like, I don't know when this is going to air, but it's not like the day after an opportunity is going to come running. But Mm. I do believe that in the long run, you know, suddenly somebody hears this, it could be six months from now. And they're like, oh, we would like a building product, a public project. No, and who knows, or not? And it's the same. It's the same for me, right? Um, I started the podcast because I wanted to talk more to people in the indie hacker business, in the built-in public business, and um, this is the third episode. The fourth one will be recorded this Friday. The fifth one will be recorded next next week. In the beginning, I had to claw like the first two two guests were like a pain to get, or not really that much. Like Anton was ready for episode <laughs> one um but in the in the beginning i had a few guests where i was asking and they were not saying like no i don't ever want to do this most people were like no i don't have the time or no um i just don't have the focus right now for this i have people still in the pipeline for rescheduling that have said no to me um i, ha- I had someone say no to me who is da- now doing a recording on friday um mm-hmm. so it has been a process right and it's also a network effect where you do like the first three, four episodes, then you have more context. People have reposted your stuff. People have listened to your stuff. Uh, you can show them I have these episodes. You can listen to them before you say before you say yes to me. Um, and you get like bigger guests and more interesting guests maybe um, down the line, which you would have never been able to reach before because like people with, with no podcast episode published, people will be a little suspicious. Like, I'm very grateful mm-hmm. for Anton to have done the first episode <laughs> uh, without any backup, like, what's it going to be? Like, um, so yeah, whatever you do, whatever you create, as you create more and more, there comes such an effect in, into place. And I think it's actually something that Arvid Karl is talking about a lot about, putting yourself out there on Twitter, giving people feedback on their products, giving out um, free advice, to people which i have also done with a little ux review project i've done and now pretty much dropped um but just putting stuff out there you can see that it comes back to you in some places maybe not everywhere but it comes back and it and it turns out sometimes when you look back and this is why 
you have to be a little cautious. Like when you listen to people talk about their success story and they look back, like it seems like there's like this very clear like red thread through their life. But that is only visible, <laughs> like looking back and you edit out a lot of things to like make these very nice kind of, it's called the hero's journey, I think, in movies where like you, you know, you, you go on this journey and then you have some adversary and then you overcome them and then look at me now kind of or like look at this person <laughs> now. It's a it's a storyline that we really enjoy as humans. It's one we know and we enjoy it. And looking back, it's very easy to tell that kind of story. And as you can notice, I'm not there yet because my story is all over the place. But with Outsera, for instance, which is this kind of weird combo for me where suddenly my LinkedIn timeline made sense. Like I went in to edit it after I got the gig and I was like, wow, this is like this is like I've, this. it's like I've been working towards this position kind of since I quit um, quit university or since I was done with university. Because I've always also been interested in no code and like I did the WordPress work. So I, every now and then I kind of dip into no code and I had this idea like I'll teach people no code. But it's like, well, I want to code things. So I don't really want to <laughs> teach people because then I can't code. But I like dipped into that. And then I had that area where I, where I called myself a personal engineer and I like I help people set up tech systems that they could use without, you know, chilling out tons of money for like custom solutions. Um. Then I done my own different projects that I've been more marketing related or more building related. And here comes Outsetta, which is a product to help you build projects. And you can add it on top of no code solutions such as Webflow or Squarespace or Card. And I am one of the first users of Card because I just love the the, the, <laughs> the product. Uh, but then you can also use it together with code to launch your SaaS without having to kind of build all the painful parts like auth and billing and that part. So now that I'm I'm going to kind of build out the the code side where I'm going to work more on like how can we market this to developers and how can we make it better for developers. But all of us do um, help help desk. So everyone in the company does tickets. Turns out I really enjoy it. I have so much fun answering these tickets. But then all of my kind of experience that I've seen as all of my side quests that I shouldn't have done, super helpful because people use Outsetta with all kinds of things. And I've used all kinds of things. I'm a SaaS hoarder. <laughs> so I have that experience and I know where to look for the errors and I know like what they want to do. And I, I kind of, I am the customer in a way as well. And it's like, I couldn't have made a better CV for this job. <laughs> so now it's like, that's what she's been, you know, it, you know, yeah. give me another five years. I'll have like a very tidy story about how I did this and that and overcome that. And then, whoa, Seta showed up and, you know, I don't know. But so I think like a, peop a lot of people are, and myself included, we're very like, where's my direction? And like, you have to have a direction and you never quit anything. And there's truth to that, but then sometimes you need to quit things to make space for the other. Well, now I'm just sounding like some kind of self-help guru, but <laughs> but sometimes like if you then, and that's why I'm annoyed I didn't keep that one blog because I have lots of blog posts on topics that would be super interesting now, but they're lost in some WordPress somewhere mm. on its own domain. And if I just kind of kept at it, instead of having it to be a new direction, just kept at it. Like me, I am a person. I'm a multifaceted person with multiple interests. I'm going to write about them on my personal blog. 
and my luck surface would have been a lot larger and some of these things would have happened a lot sooner. That's actually, I think, great advice. Um, maybe I have to think, rethink, like I just did a relaunch of my website. Don't go to it right now. It's just down for the last 12 hours. Um, but uh, if this episode airs, I hope it's uh, back online again. And I actually threw out the navigation for blog. Maybe I have to put it back in because actually there is in. some blog posts that I've written and I'm still ashamed that there were no more blog posts about the same topic. Maybe that doesn't have to be the case. Maybe it's just like, first, it's a note-taking thing for me. And then if people enjoy reading it, they will read it or not. Maybe that's actually a good thing to do. And if it makes you feel better, call them notes. Mm -hmm. You know, if you say, these are notes from future me, and you may read them, then maybe you can, like, take that little bit of fear out of it. Like, you're not presenting it as fully formed articles that will be followed up in a 10-step uh, blog post mm -hmm. article series about something. You know, just call them notes and suddenly you're free and you can write about whatever you want, whenever you want. Yeah. And then the dots can connect themselves later. And you can always go back and put a little disclaimer on blog. Instead of removing them, just be like, this is a project I put on ice. Or, you know, this is this is two years old. Like, don't take this advice. <laughs> Whatever. Like, you can do those kinds of things if it starts you know nagging you so i in my mind i'm at some point i'm going to find all of these old blogs i'm going to import them all into queen ray <laughs> and there's going to be like a massive archive um of of blog posts there um, yeah i think that's an awesome idea actually i think i will follow up on that and still and start doing stuff like that again and leave the perfectionism somewhere else um i just start doing stuff like that yeah but then also yeah but then trick your perfectionism right that's that's what you can do like i said with the notes call it notes and suddenly it's not as scary anymore. So, you know, because it's hard to push through your fears, but sometimes we can just tweak it a little bit and suddenly, you know, we are more comfortable with showing up because the the promise is different. Um, but the result is the same, but the you feel like the promise is different. That's good. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're coming up at 122 already. We have two finishing questions that everyone is, is answering and we're going to run through them. Uh, the first one, it doesn't have to be anything specific. It has to, it can be something very personal to you. It doesn't have to be any hype for everyone right now. I'm just saying that because the last two persons did the same thing or did answer the same thing. Um, so the first question is, what's exciting to you in your space, in your tech bubble or in general about technology right now? What's like the one thing where you go, I want to do more with this or I want to educate more people on this? Well, right now I'm paid to say this, but I wasn't two weeks ago. <laughs> Which is okay as well. I... <laughs> like the disclaimer is right there. <laughs> yeah, the disclaimer is right there. I am very excited to dig in without Seta and make it so that it, it will be easier for developers to launch side projects without, you know, focusing on the core thing that they wanna that they wanna deliver. But also I feel like no low code, no code, code, it's it's a very kind of fine line between those and there's a lot of crossover because i it, it's it's weird how i as a developers we are quick to use kind of backend as a services you know like we would use um superbase for instance or we're kind of quick there we're also very quick on on using npm packages in myspace i'm in the javascript space which is code written by somebody else but then somehow 
when it comes to like generating a website or in that setup case where it's billing and subscription management and email and help desk, like then it's suddenly like, oh, you know, I have to bill at least. I, have, Yeah, especially around subscription and, and, and billing. But then also just kind of having moving between the two. So so let's say you want to build something. Maybe you want to just put up a card site to begin with, which is one of my favorite no code tools. Um, you don't have to code that landing page for that project. You could use something like that. And then you can code in the back end. Or maybe your blog can be on something. You know, there are several indie hackers that do very well with these blog specific tools that makes that process really enjoyable. So you could use that and then you can code your app if you want to code your app. But then also within the app, there are so many things that you might not have to code. So I like that's, yeah, the kind of, the washing away of the lines between no code and code. And I think there, there's like this space called low code. Um, I also have heard about it, but I, like yeah. nobody can describe what it actually is. No, I, there's a company here in Norway where you, you drag and drop and you, React code is generated, React app code is generated. And they've kind of positioned themselves for enterprise tools, so internal enterprise tools. So they have like all all the pieces ready that you usually see in an enterprise internal tool. Like, and then what you need to, what is special is what data you connect it to more than kind of the interface. It just needs to be like a usable interface and it doesn't have to be different than anything else. It needs like being different would be bad. So they've then created a bunch of components that you can drag in. I haven't really used it yet, but but um, one of the founders is a friend, so I heard a little bit about it. But And then you can drag and drop and they will create enterprise grade applications. Um, and you need to be a developer to use it because when it's done, like there are some glue code that needs to be created, I think, or you might want to tweak some places. But it takes development time down by, I don't know, 90%. I don't know what they promised, but it's called App. I think they're called App Farm. Um, yeah. So, and they call that low code because you won't get all the way, but you get will get a lot of the way. Um, and I'm, and you know, and you're excited about AI. I'm not that excited about AI, but that's just, I'm excited about it for like, um, I think it's interesting for our space, but just I'm not that interested in it. But I think that connected with no code, low code type things like, whoa, where things will happen. And I'm not going to be in the forefront of that, but I'll be kind of utilizing all of that in my work with um, Outsera. But then for my own personal product, what I enjoy is coding. So I just, <laughs> uh, so that's going to be a hard one for me. Like, do I, is it the end creation that's interesting or is it the actual coding and when would I use? Yeah. So excited about digging into that, both for myself and for others. Yeah. And I also already checked out that website and it looks very interesting to me as well. Uh, right now I'm using Clerk for authentication at a mm -hmm. T T3 stack by Theo um, mm -hmm. for the whole setup and stuff. But there's a yeah. lot of code. It's not, not no no code involved in that. Yeah. Um, okay, and there are but... also people who's made AI startups now where they haven't coded anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where you just let ChatGPT write everything. <laughs> yeah, but they they've been able to no, but like not not like that, but like their whole setup is no code. I mean, ah, okay, the, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, the people who made those like avatars, the photo avatars that that were image generated or like AI generated, 
I think it was didn't Levels IO have one and then Danny, Danny Post might have had one. Yeah. yeah. And I think mm-hmm. like I think Levels did his usual PHP script and like hacked things together. But I think Danny Post I think that was all no code that was connected together. Cuz I don't think he is a developer. I'm not sure. I have just listened to a A16Z episode we, where he was the guest, but I'm not sure he mentioned if he coded it or not. So I yeah. can't really say. Yeah. Because you can do, you know, you. I guess the flow of such an app would be you log in, you pay, some, and API endpoint gets call, called, images are returned. Um, and you can do all of that with different no-code tools where the API call and the response, like, you could use a Sapier that connects to any API. Uh, there are other tools. I'm going to learn more about these tools. But I think he, he did all of that without actually coding any kind of SaaS code. Yeah. And uh, one last question for you uh, before we close the podcast. What's like the one lesson or the one advice that you would give someone just starting out the indie hacker career? I think I gave it. Yeah. Your name, <laughs> dot com or IO or whatever that is, and just start documenting your journey. You want to put a stake down and have your own corner of the internet where people can sign up for emails from you. And you don't have to email them right away. That is very scary, but ask for their email anyway. And um, kind of own that corner and write about what you're doing without thinking so much about what is the purpose of this in the long run, just start documenting what you're learning uh, and other people will learn for that. And people will see that you are somebody who shows up and opportunities will arise. And I think you already convinced me doing that. So <laughs> you will, might, I might put that navigation tab back on, on the website as uh, like, as uh the, the second it's back online because it's down right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so thank you for that. Um, as an as an as an exiting or as a finishing uh, paragraph question, whatever. Um, where can people find you, and where can they read more about what you're doing? So you can go to queen.ray.codes, which is very much uh, Gatsby focused still at the moment, but there's a little call out there that says if you're here because of Pruner Follows, sign up here. So if you just want to get a periodic newsletter from me and everything that me and my piratical family that we didn't get to talk about is up to, you can sign up uh, there. And then I am at Ray on Twitter. And that's where I uh, do most of my living online. All right. And then thank you for taking the time being here. And um, maybe we'll have to do another episode on the cool family side of your business um, and all the videos. But people can also find all of that on your YouTube channel, which I will link in the show notes. And then people can check you out there as well. Yes. And um, yeah, thank we you for taking stream. the time. Me, my partner <laughs> and our daughter, who is eight, we stream every other Thursday. Perfect. So if uh, people are interested in more the family part, uh, we have another family indie hacker coming up in episode five, I think. Um, so we'll see uh, that we get more indie hacker families up here. Uh, and maybe we'll do the next episode with three guests instead of one. <laughs> <laughs> We're always happy to jump on. All right. Thank you very much for being here, Benedicte. And it was a pleasure talking to you. And, Thank you um, for having me. Yeah. And have a nice evening. You too. Bye. Bye. 
And that's our episode. Thank you for sticking with us to the end. You can find Benedicte on Twitter with her username Ray. That's R-A-A-E. You can find links to all of her products there as well. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. We're always happy to hear feedback on the episode and on the podcast. If you're building an indie hacker business yourself and want to be part of the show, we're also really happy to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter with the username Icebellabs. That's I-C-E-B-E-A-R-L-A-B-S. Or just send me an email to tobias at icebellabs.com. Till next time.